Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Friday the 13th edition of the podcast. Uh, I'm not superstitious. I think we'll get through this just fine. And we have plenty of uh, interesting stuff to get to from the week in review starting with a uh, forum with uh, three of the four candidates for state superintendent. Uh, Clark, you were on the panel. I was moderating it. Uh, it's been a big project for us. Let's talk a little bit about what we heard and what we took away from it. I had a lot of fun uh, at our panel on Tuesday night. We did have a chance to hear uh, from do- both new Democrats in the race, Cindy Wilson and Alan Humble. We also heard uh, from Jeff Dillon, the Republican superintendent from Wilder, who is challenging incumbent school superintendent uh, Sherry Ybarra. So we heard from three of the four candidates. We broadcast it on social media, on Facebook Live, and we had a, a live crowd at Boise State University. And if you're interested, and we'll get into the substance of the forum in a couple of minutes, but if you're interested in finding it, you can find it on our Facebook page and on our homepage, uh, and it will remain there up through the May 15th primary mm-hmm. in case folks want to um, check it out, learn a little bit more about at least three of the four candidates uh, before they make an important decision at the polls on May 15th. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about the substance of this. I mean, we had uh, 75 minutes with these three candidates, asked them a lot of different questions, everything from uh, from school choice to school safety to uh, early literacy and pre-K. A lot of ground that we covered You were sitting there. I was standing there. Uh, What was your biggest uh, takeaway, uh, substance-wise, from the three candidates? I think there were a couple of things that I noticed. Uh, There was a lot of agreement on some of the bigger issues. Uh, Not total agreement, I don't want to say, but everybody talked about we need to do more with early childhood learning. We need to mm-hmm. either have state-sponsored pre-K or look at pre-K options for more school districts. Right, Everybody Dillon didn't go far as far as the other two in terms of saying we need state-funded pre-K, but we need to look at uh, some, some options. We need to you know not do a one-size-fits-all, but definitely saying we need to do something. Yeah, and, and they were all uh, there at some point. I, I think Alan Humble and Cindy Wilson were much more strongly in, as Democrats you would expect, much more strongly in uh, full state sponsorship and support uh, for pre-K. Um, I thought there was some agreement there, and that's interesting. And you don't necessarily, those candidates were stronger than many of the legislators that we saw during the uh, recent mm-hmm. legislative session where pre-K was sort of on the periphery but never a serious um, never a serious right. uh, proposal moving and, forward and at any point. where it's been basically the past few legislative sessions, to be honest. It, it just has not had a whole lot of traction. Another big theme that I saw was school safety. Uh, there were a couple of different questions that our panel got to ask about school safety, and that was something that was on all the candidates' minds uh, in light of especially the horrible uh, school shooting in, in, in Parkland, Florida that happened earlier this year. Uh, but everybody was talking about school safety. Um, a lot of people talked about um, this idea that President Trump has been pushing that's already enacted in some Idaho school districts about arming teachers. Uh, there was a little bit of, of nuance to that discussion, but it seemed like um, generally there was some support for the existing law in the state of Idaho, which allows school districts to make a choice to arm teachers if they want. Uh, but there were also some reservations that Yes, this is on the books. I think it's a decision that school districts should be able to make based on their own unique needs and circumstances, but not. But this acknowledgement that 
not a lot of teachers are are coming out in favor saying that they want to mm-hmm. be armed. The other thing and I, I know... Wanted, and on the school safety front, I, I asked them, all three candidates, to talk about the funding aspect yeah. of this. Is there money that you would want to put into school safety initiatives? And, and what we heard from from Dylan and Wilson was uh, was more or less the same in a lot of ways. I think they both said it's it may take some more money. We may want to put some more money in. Uh, Dylan would want to use the data, use the research that we're already doing about uh, school safety threat assessments. Uh, showed off. They had a copy of uh, Wilder's own school threat yeah. assessment uh, at the podium. He'd like to use that data to inform the funding decisions. Uh, Wilson was talking about, it may take more money, uh, but we should give the local districts uh, some parameter, uh, some, some, some discretion about how they spend the money. Uh, Humble talked about allowing school districts to tap into the use of the National Guard to protect schools and that at, was, at their discretion, at their, yeah. at, their, at their option, which I've never heard anybody talk about. No, that that was new. Uh, that was new to me, and that was surprising. I am going to be, uh, as you know, Kevin, as we've talked about, I'm going to be interviewing each of the four candidates. I've already interviewed several of them. I will be meeting with Alan next week, and I hope to follow up a little bit more on that with him and try to try to figure out what that idea is, what that proposal is, uh, and how it would work. That was new to me. I was a little bit surprised by it. I'm not sure uh, how the mechanics of that proposal would work, but it's something that I hope to follow up on and uh, and come back and, and, and report more on. Another takeaway that I had, and we talked about this before we went uh, live, is that Sherry Ibarra was kind of a non-presence in this forum. Not only physically, she wasn't there because of a scheduling conflict, and we've we've talked about that in previous podcasts, but she was a non-presence in terms of the candidates' responses uh, to questions. Not a lot of talk about what Superintendent Ibarra has done these past three-plus years or hasn't done these past three-plus years. Not many questions... Uh, couched in terms of the incumbent's performance and how these challengers would view it differently. Even when we asked them an audience question that said, identify Superintendent Barra's biggest failing in office, uh, Cindy Wilson kind of uh, sidestepped that aspect of the question, talked about what she believes that she would bring to the table as, as superintendent. Uh, Humble talked a little bit more about um, the general failing of incumbents uh, to really push the envelope in terms of what schools need. Uh, Jeff Dillon talked a little bit about his, uh, you know, he, he touted his own ability as, as a leader. He he threw in some criticism about uh, Ibarra's efforts to try to get a rural schools bill through, uh, an idea that's failed for three consecutive years, and, and kind of threw a little bit of a, a jab towards Ibarra, saying, well, if you've tried something for three years and the legislature keeps saying, no, you need to come up with a new strategy. But really, very little uh, mention of Ibarra. No, it was almost like she didn't exist. I mean, other than when you explained at the beginning that we had invited her and there was a scheduling conflict that we were unable to resolve, I don't know that her name was really mentioned outside of that audience question. I, at a different question, Cindy Wilson mentioned how she could work with Republicans on JFAC and specifically, you know, she expressed an interest and an enthusiasm for working uh, with Idaho Falls Republican Representative Wendy Horman, who helps write and carry the public school budgets each year. I think that was a little bit of a jab at Ybarra without yeah. saying her name. Veiled, um, veiled, veiled jab, but yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, we didn't hear the superintendent's name. We didn't talk about her policies. We didn't talk about the last four years at the State Department of Education or uh, the superintendent engaging with the legislature. 
they, they, the, the candidates were reluctant to go there, and, and we didn't um, – I don't know. It, it, it was an interesting thing, and I think the tone overall maybe reflected who was there. Yeah. Uh, Wilson and Humble, the two Democrats, didn't disagree about a lot of topics. So their aspect of uh, being on the same stage, you didn't see a whole lot of uh, finger pointing or back and forth or disagreement about topics. Uh, I think uh, maybe Jeff Dillon was using this as an opportunity to present his own platform, his own approach to it. With Ibarra not there, right. he wasn't bringing up Ibarra very much. He was trying to present his own case. He wasn't really engaging in disagreement with the two Democrats because, you know, let's face it, for, you know, he's in a primary right now with Ibarra. That's the election that's before him. That's the election, really, that's before all four of these candidates yeah. uh, are the two contested primaries on May 15th. Yeah, uh, but in that regard, it certainly was not a, controver- a co- confrontational forum in any regards. Um, one of the things that I was happiest about uh, was the the panelist who joined me in asking the questions. Uh, we had Lauren they Bailey, were stars. They uh, were great. who's an elementary school teacher in the West Ada School District, and we had Zach Crandall, uh, who is a uh, senior at, at Eagle High School. And I'm sorry, I think Lauren teaches in Boise, actually. Yes, right. uh, not West Elementary School. Uh, but I thought that they were great, and they came in and they met with us the week before, and they developed their own questions, and they added a little bit of a personal touch to some of their questions. Uh, Zach, the student, when he talked about, uh, he asked about advanced placement courses, dual credit courses, and career technical programs, and he talked about ways that e- being able to have access to each of those programs helped him out and has helped him earn sophomore status when he enters college next fall and really enriched his education. And so it added a personal touch that I think went above and beyond what we as journalists or pundits or close observers of the education system could offer. I was proud of Zach and Lauren. Oh, they they were both great. When Lauren Bailey asked about the master teacher premium, she talked about it from the perspective of a teacher who is going through this arduous process. She's getting her portfolio ready. Completing the portfolio to try to get this uh, premium. So, you know, she talked about it from her own personal experience, and I think that makes it a lot more uh, compelling and I think it, uh, I think it poses the question in a very different manner from from an expert's uh, firsthand uh, perspective that that you and I don't have as as observers and journalists. So no, I thought the panel was was really strong. I was really it was really fun to work with with you and with the rest of the panel uh, to put this thing together. It was very well done. Yeah, I, I think we were really happy with it. I think we learned a couple of things, but uh, it's not a secret that we would like to come back and offer more of these types of forums or programs, uh, and I think we have a little bit of a, of a roadmap to success that we've started on, and we've learned a few things, but uh, the people responded well. We had an audience on Facebook Live. We had an audience in person at Boise State, and... Um, and you can still watch. Yeah, you can, you still, can still watch still and out. see. It's on our Facebook page. Uh, we've gotten a lot of good questions and feedback on the Facebook page, and while we were able to pose some of the questions that we got from, from our viewers... We're compiling the rest, and hopefully we'll uh, try to get some more answers between now and May 15th. So check it out if you haven't already, and uh, give us your feedback. Yeah, and a big thank you again to to Lauren Bailey and Zach Crandall. It would not have been uh, what it was without them. So thanks to both of them. Let's. We had some more big news this week. I want to talk about uh, the nation's report card, the new NAEP numbers that you reported on that were released publicly on Tuesday. What is NAEP? And we got some Idaho scores, and we were able to compare Idaho scores uh, to some national averages. Uh, tell me a little bit about what's yeah. going on and what you learned. NAEP 
or you know, the National Assessment of Educational Progress is a test that people watch very closely all across the country for a couple of reasons. It is a test that's given every two years, and it's given to a cross-section of students in every state. So what you're able to do with these NAEP numbers is you're able to draw some conclusions about what's happening over time, mm -hmm. from, in this case, 2015 to 2017, and you're able to draw some comparisons between the states, you know, get a sense of where Idaho stacks up compared to the rest of the country. Our takeaways from the NAEP numbers uh, this time around, uh, not a lot of change in the Idaho numbers from 2015 to 2016. The numbers didn't budge one way or the other. They were fairly consistent with what we saw in 2015. And where Idaho stacks up nationally is actually, it's pretty good. Uh, now, in terms of the raw numbers, in terms of the percentage of students who scored proficient or better on the NAEP, Idaho was uh, pretty much ahead of the national average or right at the national average in just about everything. And, and you've got basically four NAEP tests that we got results from this mm -hmm. week. Fourth grade math, fourth grade reading, eighth grade math, eighth grade reading. All of the numbers are, are fairly favorable. Eighth grade reading is probably the, uh, the shining star for Idaho. Oh, yeah. Uh, Idaho's average score on the NAEP for eighth grade reading was five points above the national average. And as I looked at the state-by-state -state numbers, there were only, state, eight, only eight states in the union that had a higher average NAEP score for eighth grade reading than Idaho. So uh, a strong performance there. Um, you do see some gaps. You do see some achievement gaps, and that was definitely uh, an issue on the national level. A lot of the, the national coverage of NAEP pointed out that the national scores were flat, and that kind of masks the fact that high-achieving students tended to improve, right. while lower-achieving students tended to lose ground. And that's so what the, you mean by a gap. So the gap between high achievers and low achievers tended to grow, and that's a concern to a lot of education leaders for obvious reasons. But the Idaho numbers, uh, fairly stable and fairly solid. A, a pretty good report. I think a lot of people need. Should, I think a lot of people should be happy with this. It is a cross section. Uh, it's not every student. It's only fourth and eighth grade reading and, and math. And that's why you don't get district or school level numbers. Right. I've had that question posed on social media. We can't tell you how your district did on the NAEP because not all kids took because it. it's a it's a small sample of students. It's supposed to be a representative sample of the statewide population. I mean, the demographics are supposed to sync up. But we're only talking about, you know, 2,400 kids in each grade taking one or the other NAEP exam. So it's, 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 it's a cross-section. So we don't have, you know, local-level data. But we do have the state-level data. We've got that all available at idahoednews.org. And, and it's one indicator, but it is closely watched, as you mentioned. But when those results came out Tuesday, that was not the last we heard yep. of the new NAEP results. I was out Thursday at a post-legislative roadshow event. Uh, these things happen every year in the superintendent of public instruction, Sherry Ybarra. And, and she's been on the road this week doing this, and that goes yep. back to the forum earlier this week. That was the reason that the Ybarra campaign said that she couldn't attend Tuesday. But yeah. she was in Boise, and you were with her on, on Thursday in Boise. And she was fairly um, fairly feisty, I guess would be one way of putting it. Yeah, it, it's kind of an event to meet with School administrators, in, in, in particular, principals, vice principals, superintendents, and kind of have a debrief of the legislative session. But Ibarra kicked it off with a speech, 
in the morning, and she wanted to put the NAEP results out front and center and kind of celebrate those uh, right from the beginning. She developed a quiz to kind of reveal um, the results. But yeah, she did some of that speech. She was using humor and sarcasm to kind of push back against um, some news media coverage over the last little bit and also against an advocacy advertising campaign. She had really taken issue with uh, those Education Week quality counts reports that uh, have a number of different factors and assign letter grades to states. Idaho had once again uh, gotten a D-plus in 48th in the nation mm-hmm. based on a Education Week's include, criteria. Which also include education funding. It's not necessarily just a measure of academic performance. Early childhood growth. is in there. Right. Uh, a, a lot, a lot, of, lot different of things, things don't really uh, translate into to student growth. And, and that was her pushback was, you know, as far as student performance, we're we're much better than we're getting uh, getting reputation. She was for. basically saying, "Don't believe the media. Don't believe the don't fail Idaho, Idaho campaign that talks about 48th in the nation." And she said, "You know, look here at the NAEP scores as an example." And she created a quiz, and and it was it was almost sort of amusing. She she would sort of say, "Guess what percentage? Guess how many states performed better than Idaho in?" fourth grade reading. Was it 48 states performed better or was it six states that performed better? Mm-hmm. And she had a little fun with it and, and she was a little bit uh, feisty and, and, and I don't want to point it to some of the achievements that uh, have happened around K-12 education. But she presented the NAEP scores in a little bit different way than even the officials working with NAEP did. At one point, uh, Ybarra Uh, latched on to those 8th grade reading scores that you had talked about as being a bright spot. And she said that 81% of Idaho 8th graders earn scores of basic or better on the NAEP math test. And that's true. But Mm -hmm. she went on to say that that translate that those basic or better scores translate to students performing at grade level or better. This she was not misspeaking. She said this multiple times. She emphasized that point. And but they that's said not- it to me a week ago as we were starting to look at what to expect with these NAEP numbers. So this is something that you know this has been the storyline from the Abara camp. But this is not what NAEP says that those numbers mean. And, yeah, and let's, you, let's do a little bit of a fact check here. Um, you took a closer look at what the NAEP scores mean, right? It is accurate to say that 81% of Idaho 8th graders scored basic or better on the reading NAEP. That's accurate. And that Idaho did better than... Idaho performed well compared to the national And if you really are going to look at basic or better performance on the the NAEP, there were only two jurisdictions. And I say jurisdictions because one is Department of Defense schools. So So Idaho beat all but two jurisdictions if you look at basic or better 8th grade reading. Here's the thing. Whether you're talking about basic performance on the NAEP or proficient performance on the NAEP, neither is considered a grade level definition. The NAEP folks avoid using grade level terminology because grade level means a different thing in Idaho than it does in Alaska or Massachusetts or Mississippi. Every state's got its own definition of grade level. So they try to avoid that. What the NAEP people do and what the the people who conduct the test, and that's why I focus on how they look at the test because it's their test. They're the experts. They tend to look a lot more at how, how are states doing in terms of proficiency or better. They really focus in on proficiency. And that's another benchmark up above right. basic. And one notch above basic is proficient. And when you look at the definitions of basic 
or proficient. Take out the whole grade level thing, which I think is which I think is misleading to start to talk about grade level when we're talking about need. When you talk about proficient, that's more of an aspirational goal that is, that suggests command of the topic. Basic, and this is going to read straight from what Nape tells you, a score of basic, quote, signifies partial mastery of the knowledge and skills that are fundamental for proficient work in a grade and subject. That suggests that a student who scores basic on the Nape has some work to do. Yeah. Uh, not below basic. That's the lowest of the four categories, but not, you know, but there's a definite gap between basic and proficient. So I think to start to use the basic score as a benchmark when the NAEP folks are using proficient as the benchmark strikes me kind of interesting and kind of odd. In my coverage, in our coverage, we focus on proficient or better simply because that's what the NAEP people do. That's what they do. And that's, that's how they administer the test and how they interpret their own test. Yeah. And that word, again, used in the NAEP definition, we see it here, partial mastery. Mastery is an aspirational thing for Idaho. That's where Superintendent Ibarra uh, and many educators want to go with mastery, whereas in to move on from one subject to the next, you really have to demonstrate mastery and complete and total um, knowledge and understanding of the subject matter material. And, and, and they're I, saying basic only signifies partial mastery. And, and I get right now that we are in the weeds. I mean, this is very arcane stuff to be talking about. And it's made more complicated because everybody defines proficient or basic right. or mastery a little bit differently. I'm just focusing in on how NAEP defines proficiency or, or basic skills or you know, full mastery or partial mastery because it's their test. They're the ones who administer it. So that's why I focus in on the proficiency aspect and point out that the grade level thing is is a bit of a red herring. But regardless of whether you get held up on the definitions and trying to equate these definitions to examples that you can really wrap your arms around, I think the NAEP report did have good news. I think there exactly. is stuff I mean, to I, celebrate in there. Right, and that's our initial coverage of it, and I'll stand behind it because I think we got it. I think we were right to point out Idaho's scores were solid. Yeah. If, if you are scoring... Uh, better than all but eight states on one of the NAEP tests, I don't see how you can you know, interpret that as anything other than good news, other than a success story uh, off of one of the NAEP tests. So I think we were pretty, uh, we were, I think we were more than fair in terms of trying to put those numbers into perspective. This wasn't the only number that uh, Superintendent Ibarra was fixated on on Thursday. She was talking a little bit about one we've written about before. Yeah, she talked about the high school graduation rate increase and this is not a new number. We had reported um, on this before. But, but basically, between 2016 and 2017, the state's high school graduation rate increased from 79.66% to 79.67%. And Yabara said it, it, she kind of took issue at some of the headline writers and some of the journalists covering that, which uh, that might be What's you that? and me. <laughs> uh, the headline I wrote when I wrote about these graduates. But what Yabara said is actually it did increase. And then she gave this great quote. It might be a smidge or a smooch or whatever you want to refer to it as. But an increase is an increase. Okay. But let's quantify what a smidge or a smooch is in this case. 0.01% of an increase. I did the math. It's not hard math. If you were talking about 20,000 kids in a graduating class across the entire state of Idaho, 0.01% translates to about two more kids graduating from high school. Uh, it's um, Calling it a smidge may be a bit of a stretch. It, it's, it's almost so minuscule a difference as to 
say that it, it may not even be you know, statistically significant in the slightest. Well, and, and we've looked at state numbers before. I mean, it could well be a, a rounding error. Um, it, it's it's that close. And I don't want to look for the two. Yeah, you know, for the two kids who graduated who may not have otherwise. It means all the difference. It's a very big deal. Yeah, for and, everybody that graduated, it made all the difference. And certainly, that is, you know, if two more kids graduated than they did the year before, it it makes all the difference for those two kids. But we've not, talked before. We went on about Idaho has some serious goals on the horizon with its graduation rates, and, and we will never get there a smidge or a smooch at a time with 0.01% uh, because we're right at, we're less than 80% right now. It, it, right, the state right, wants right, to go right, to 95%. Right, right. It, it, it almost trivializes the work ahead to be talking about uh, a difference between 79.66 and 79.67. When we need to get to 95. When, when we hope to get to 95. The State Board of Education's goal in the next six years is to get to a 95% high school graduation rate. That is extremely ambitious. Nobody is doing that. The union is even close to 95%. The national average right now, and this is from 2016, so it's a year old, the national average for the graduation rate was 84.1%. So it's about four and a half percentage points above where Idaho is. To get to that would take some, some... considerable improvement and would take some considerable effort. So to be talking about whether the numbers are flat from 16 to 17 or the, you know this increases and increases and increase, it really, I, I think we're, we're looking, we're losing the, the, the forest for the trees here. Uh, you know, there is a lot of work ahead if Idaho is going to meet its goal or reach the national average. And in five years, if we're at 79.8%, nobody's going to be patting themselves on the back about a smidge and a smooch here if we're well below our goal when the deadline comes. So Anyways. At, at any rate, <laughs> uh, I thought you did a good job, Clark, uh, at kind of uh, explaining what, uh, what Ibarra said on Thursday and putting some of the, uh, the numbers into, um, into perspective. I think there's some good fact-check reporting. We're not trying to rain on anybody's parade or say that this doesn't matter or say that small successes or even staying level can't be celebrated, but it's campaign season, and we want to add a little context to what's going on. And so it does seem like we're pushing back or raining on the parade or, or the two least fun guys in the room. But, but it's fact-check reporting, right. and we did the same kind of fact-check reporting when these graduation numbers came out, and we raised questions about the graduation rate in the Wilder School District, in Jeff Dillon's school district. So, you know, this is part of the process of covering an election is, you know, candidates are going to say what candidates are going to say, and it's uh, it's our responsibility to try to put that into perspective. You know, not to be naysayers, but to be, you know, uh, an objective observer and objective analysts of, you know, what the reality is and what maybe is uh, a little bit of an overstatement. Yeah, for sure. I think we've covered a lot of ground. I think those were the top two stories that I really wanted to get at. Um, We do have a couple of big things coming up next week. Let's just go through the schedule real quick as we close out. We've got some stuff going on all next week. We've got the Funding Formula Committee uh, reconvenes on Tuesday. You will be there. there. Um, Election season is still going on full bore. I will be moderating a panel uh, with the City Club on Monday with the two Democratic gubernatorial candidates, uh, A.J. Belukov and Paulette Jordan. So election season is heating up, and we'll have uh, continued coverage of 
what's new on the election front, what's new on the education front. Um, it's that sprint to May 15th for, uh, for candidates and for reporters alike. All right. Well, hey, I think that about covers everything I wanted to get to. I want to thank everybody uh, for reading our coverage at IdahoEdNews.org and, as always, for listening to the Extra Credit Podcast. We have a lot of fun kind of exploring this complicated intersection of policy and practice when it comes to our K-12 public schools, so we really enjoy it. We'll be back next Friday with another brand-new edition of Extra Credit. In the meantime, thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.